Welcome to the Hermit's Land Podcast. I want to first start off by saying big thank you to all the wonderful people who are supporting the Patreon for this podcast. They are getting some awesome bonus stuff, like special recordings, sneak peeks of artwork and other projects that I'm working on, and they are helping grow this podcast. They are helping move towards the goal of providing transcriptions so that deaf people can take part in these conversations. And they are also helping support the work that I do, running down guests, getting people on the show, coordinating people in different time zones and on other sides of the planets. And finally, they're helping improve the production value of this podcast by allowing me to start considering acquiring better equipment and get away from some of the janky duct tape together process I've been doing for a long time. If you dig the podcast, jump over to patreon.com slash the hermit's lamp and pitch in. Every dollar helps. Welcome to another installment of the hermit's lamp podcast. I am here today with Courtney Alexander, who I met in Portland last year when I was at the Northwest Tarot Symposium. And I got to see some of her stunning artwork in person for her deck that she's been working on, which is called the Dust to Onyx deck. Um, it's, it's some amazing stuff and getting to hang out with Courtney for a bit. I thought she was a fascinating person. And so I've been gunning to get her on the podcast ever since. And uh, she's been busy surviving hurricanes and finishing up her project for release. So we're catching up now. But for people who might not know who you are, Courtney, um, who are you? What's going on? Hi, everyone. I am Courtney Alexander, and um, I'm a recent graduate of um, University of South Florida. So I graduated with my degree in studio art. And so before becoming this creator and entrepreneur that I am now, I was just a juggling college art student (laughs) and um you know just trying to adjust right after graduation and then bam like life happened and here i am amazing in a nutshell (laughs) Uh uh-huh that's funny how how was art school for you i I went to art school up here and uh i kind of hated it and it kind of ruined making art for me so i'm always curious how uh how people's art school experiences were i personally have like nothing but positive things to say in my experience because when I began like I wanted to go to school for advertising because I've been a graphic designer and working in marketing um throughout my life and so that was what I was gunning for career-wise like I wanted to be a creative director so like I was like do I want to do the advertising program or you know will an art program help me expand my creativity and have more to offer my clients that was like my purpose for going to art school honestly And through my journey through the program, I began to, like, go through this kind of self-actualization and, like, my identity 
began to transform and I really start shedding so many layers of myself through my artwork. And, you know, by the end of it, like I realized like, wow, like I'm an artist and I have something to say, you know, and I love being in this world. So, you know, um, it, it definitely ended up becoming something that I didn't expect at all. But as far as just like on a day to day, like the program that I was at at um, University of South Florida is like a really great program. Um, especially for those interested in contemporary art. So um, I had the opportunity to go to a lot of artist talks and I had some good professors who who challenged me and really pushed me to experiment and to see my art in a different light. And so like, yeah, like I, I think for better or worse that, you know, art school can be a valuable experience because I've heard people, like you said, that I haven't had like the most positive experience in the moment, but it was still very influential for them as an artist, you know? So either way you kind of get pushed <laughs> into it's whatever. True, it's true. Yeah. I mean, I think that uh, for me, my, the art school that I ended up at was very um, postmodern theory focused at the time that I was there. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that if there had been more space for aesthetic stuff, you know, just just making things because they were cool and beautiful, as well as the idea of, you know, uh, challenging concepts and all that stuff. I think that that would have, I, I think that I needed a blend of that, you know, and that just wasn't going on there when I was there. So, yeah. yeah. So, so when, when you started to shed these things as you're going through making your artwork and, and going through this program, was there a point at which you um, ever started to like engage that as a process of transformation for yourself or was the the artwork kind of leading it and and changing you as it went or or maybe some other kind of way? Um, I think that it was a little bit of both. I definitely began to use art as a form of empowerment for myself. And like I began modeling for art classes because I've, I've grown up, you know, all my life as a fat person, like, you know, 5'8", 330 pounds. So, like, the way that I navigate the world um, and people's response to me became something for me to explore. That was, like, my starting point where I really started to try and understand what concepts I wanted to convey. And so I started doing, like, mixed-media installations and paintings and stuff around that subject. And um, then also, like I said, I started modeling for art classes. And so that whole process of being so vulnerable, like, I'm literally like naked on this platform, Mm -hmm. you know, and you know how it is in art class, people are around you in a big circle. There are no good angles. This is not Snapchat or Instagram. You don't don't get to like soft light it and make things look better. No, not at all. And so like, and it's funny, usually people's response was like, man, you have so much confidence, but it had nothing to do with confidence at the time. Like I just knew that I wanted to challenge myself. Like I still, was going through the self-loathing I still was very insecure I just knew that like for myself putting myself in this new space and having this new experience would be beneficial for me because I knew how I felt when I saw that model and I thought she was like so beautiful and it was just like you know this experience of drawing her and everything I wanted people to have that experience with me and so when I began modeling like looking at myself and seeing people's depictions of me helped me embrace the parts of myself that I was the most judgmental of. Because to me, I was looking at the artwork and I was like, man, this is actually really beautiful. Like my body's beautiful. Like, you know, mm-hmm. and it, 
It's not because my body is respectable in size. It's not because I have the perfect hourglasses, literally. Like, I kind of like the way that roll falls over the side (laughs) out of this platform, you know, or um, with my artwork, just finally kind of processing the different experiences that I was having, like, you know, for my first show that I ever did was called Overload. And so I had this big eight foot sculpture that you can walk through. And it was inspired by Marina and Bramovic's, um, one of her pieces she did with her partner, where they stood in the um, entryway of a museum, nude, and people had to like squeeze past them. Mm-hmm. But I couldn't do that on campus, obviously. So I just created a sculpture to kind of mimic that experience and bring people into a sens- into sensual contact with um, fatness as a you know, conceptually and doing videos where like I played with lard and explored the violence of diet culture and how the ideas projected through diet culture were very detrimental um, psychologically to me. And I'm pretty sure a lot of other people of size who've struggled with like when you're being told all your life that you're going to die, that your body is going to kill you. That doesn't necessarily like it's so counterproductive to this idea that you should feel empowered enough to eat healthier and work out and be happy with yourself. So mm-hmm. like I was just addressing all of those things and it was very, very healing. And then as I went through the program, I began to start, um, I began studying art history more and learning about like West African art. And so I started um, learning more about my identity as a black woman. And as a black American, it's where we've been stripped of so much identity wise that like I, I I have a culture here as a Black American in the U.S., but then there's always this kind of yearning to know where you originally came from. And just there's so many complex layers into navigating Mm -hmm. our history here. And so um, I began to, you know, start to process that. And I was inspired by, like, the women of the Sunday Society in um, Sierra Leone, and they have... Um, these masks is called the Soe and the Gonde mask. And so the Soe mask in their um, masquerade is kind of like the ideal woman. And so she's very demure and, you know, small face. She represents modesty and, you know, all of these ideas about what women should be. And then you have the Gonde mask, which is her sister, who's kind of like the antithesis of all that. She's been through a lot in life. Um, She's not as beautiful. She's not as refined. But the thing that I love, I'm sorry, I have something in my eye. <laughs> but um, the thing that I loved about both concepts is that they're both like respected as deities and higher mm-hmm. beings. And so there, it, and that started to address the respectability that I had to unpack because I grew up in a middle class, like a working middle class family. And so, you know, there's these ideas embedded in you that, you know, you have to learn how to, you know, like all my life, I was hearing like, well, you want to be careful. You don't want white people to think this of you. You don't want white people to think that of you. And you kind of start to be pitted against the same people like that you love. Like I have family who have grown up in a um, different environment. Like, you know, luckily my, my parents were able to move us out of um, our small town when I was young. But there are my other family members that are still in those towns. So when people tell me, well, you shouldn't act like them, it's kind of pitting me against who they are when I know they're good people. And so, like, I started to have to, like, come head to head with all that. So when I did the sculptures, it was 
I named them Debbie and Joy off of um, the two characters from the movie Friday. Debbie was like the neighborhood girl that everybody wanted and she was pretty and smart and stuff. Mm -hmm. And then Joy was the ex-girlfriend who was loud and quote unquote ghetto and irrespectable. But to me, they're both strong women and they both have their faults and they both have their powerful traits that should be respected no matter their background. And so, you know, that was kind of helping me um, unpack my ideas about that and really just give reference to all levels of being for, especially for Black women. So I'm sorry, I know that was a mouthful. <laughs> no, it's, a, it's great. It's, um, I mean, I think that it's, it's fascinating to try and understand, understand what it means to step outside of those culturally put on us Mm-hmm. ideas you know size proper behavior you know those kinds of things right like oh you and and, and to step outside of those um culturally imposed competitions right yeah and you know and i think that when we when we start to see those and break those down um you know it becomes something quite different you know i mean my my background's you know obviously quite different you know, I grew up in a suburban town that was predominantly white. There was almost no people of color at all. And and yet, for a variety of reasons, I never never dug it, never fit in there. And so was always escaping to the city and other places and, you know, trying to travel and see more of the world and more of what was outside of what was going on, you know? And so mm-hmm. it's amazing how people can start to change who they are and then how that impacts how you feel about yourself. Yeah. No. Um, yeah. I've, I've seen like that environment and, you know, the, especially the global world we're living in, it's like, it's so much easier for people to create their bubbles, but then at the same time, there's so much more opportunity and more necessity, not just opportunity, but the necessity for understanding the different um, walks of life and the fact that people navigate into this world different. We can scream, we bleed, we all do bleed red, but we all don't walk down the street and have the same experience. And that's important. And that's, you know, and um, social dynamics and systemic issues are very vital and important to our evolution culturally and as a society and especially spiritually. When, you know, you speak of activism and those who are advocating for change, um, I think a lot of times the spiritual discourse is left out of it. And, you know, globally, how are we transitioning spiritually to be more accommodating and understanding of the marginalized people in the world who are also like, you know, going through these things because like in so many groups, you're told like, well, you know, well, if you believe in all the goodness and the light and stuff, it shouldn't matter what your color or your religion or any of the back that your background is, but that's not true because you're like your existence alone is political, you know, <laughs> the body yeah. work lived through is political and it comes with so much attached to it. And you cannot separate your artistic, your spiritual, your emotional, your professional, your relationship experience. Nothing is separated from that, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you just choose to engage it or you don't, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Some of us have, have it, have an easier time disconnecting and we have, a bigger opportunity, uh, more privileged to disconnect more than others. Some people you can't get away from it, you know? For so, sure. Yeah. So 
how how does how does this discourse come into your tarot deck then um it's funny because when i first started this like i didn't think of it as like an activist deck per se or think of it in terms of social justice and everything i just knew at the time that i saw a lack of representation not just in skin color in regards to people of color not being represented enough in tarot but just being represented beyond cultural stereotypes like you know when there's I, I can at least speak from the black experience that like every deck that I was encountering was based on history it was based on a particular cultural tradition like Lakumi or Santeria or um, a particular culture but what if I don't resonate with any of those things because we are leaving out black queer folks what about the nerds what about like trans folks and people who are living at so many other intersections and so I just knew that I wanted a deck that everybody within the diaspora could feel included and feel like there was something in it for them you know and so that's the point that I started with and how does that look that's a big like and, and ideologically that's a big task to take on but then looking back it really wasn't too difficult in the sense where like when I started to like look at just spirituality in general and the fact that man, like, you know, universal spirit always looks like whiteness, you know, um, when it comes to African culture and magic and conjure and all of these things, those things are seen as dark. When you just on a basic idea of color, everything that's pure is white, is pastel, is soft, is angels with beautiful white wings and flowers everywhere, and everything that's evil is dark and red and, you know, all of these mm -hmm. other things. But when you look at the universe, the thing that encompasses us all is actually dark matter. And yeah. so, so it's like, you know, that working through that separation. So, you know, I chose the color black to one, not put actual skin tone into it, because as far as you know, blackness in that color spectrum is such a wide range. And to also yeah. have the color black represent something universal that isn't just tied to evilness and mystery, but that is something good that is also powerful, that can that's also inviting and transformative and have all these same adjectives that whiteness has been able to carry for so long. So I like it. Yeah, it's very interesting to um, to to see how. Oh, there's so many things I want to say. Let me try and organize them a moment here. Um, number one, I think that it's fascinating um, how complicated and sensitive it requires us to deal with political issues, especially around representation. Um, but how at the same time kind of really straightforward it can be if we, if we really just sort of engage, right? Like mm -hmm. I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, what you just said about your process and, you know, it sounds like once you set your intention and you started to think about it, it became apparent which ways to go, you know, and, and kinds of choices that you could make. And having just completed a deck myself, that has a, a lot of people of color of it. And then, you know, having sort of taken that and shown that to people of color to see how they felt about it. You know, the, the simple answer that I took was I'm going to depict people as 
like everybody's going to be like people that I've seen or people that I know, you know? And so, my, you know, where yours is the one color, mine was, was all of those spectrums and all of those shapes and sizes and so on, because I know those people, you know, and I know the, the, the way in which they look and, and are and how that kind of, you know, can be art. So it's, it's fascinating to me because it seems like one of the, complaints that people make about being considerate of these subjects is that it's too complicated or it's too difficult or so on. And yet that doesn't sound like that's what you're saying. And it's certainly not what I experienced when I was making my deck. Yeah. It's, I mean, honestly, the principles are like very basic. You just realize like, okay, I am born into this world with a certain perspective and everybody's not going to have the same perspective, but as a responsible human being that desires to have positive progress in this world, that means I have to confront myself and be open to confronting other people on things that are keeping us from, you know, from people, keeping people from being able to authentically live their lives. And I don't, you know, have this belief that the world is ever going to be this paradise of peace because I even think that the tougher parts of our world is what makes it what it is. If everything, if everything negative ceased to exist, it, to exist, we would be nothing. Mm -hmm. So it's not necessarily about just making this world this utopian place, but it's just more so about giving people the space, especially now that we have the consciousness to allow room for people to grow and develop in the way they want to, especially in Western society where everything's supposed to be about, oh, we're free and, oh, you know, we're supposed to have all of these, you know, um, privileges to be able to do things that quote unquote other quote unquote undeveloped places and un you know indigenous places don't give you or whatever. Like that's not true at all. There's just all of these expectations. And it's like you said, it's easy. Like once you recognize what it is, it's just a matter of like just doing in your artwork and every interaction, confronting the ways in which you restrict yourself and in the ways in which you restrict others unjustly and unfairly. And like for me myself, like I realized that I was fat phobic because that was internalized. I had moments where I realized like I was transphobic because I'm a cis woman living in this body from that perspective. And I wasn't transphobic in the sense that I didn't like or honor trans trans people. It was just my own ignorance. And once I was able to say, you know what, like, man, I'm a transphobic person because that's been ingrained in me to see trans people as less than human. So my interaction, even when I'm giving a compliment and that compliment somehow dehumanizes them how do I then recognize that and change it? But we're such in like fight mode that when people are confronted with the isms that they perpetuate, it's more easy for them to say, well, no, I'm not racist. No, I'm not transphobic or homophobic or anything. There's something wrong with your perception. When intent matters, like intent doesn't matter at all. I can place a bomb in your yard and be like, oh, I just wanted to blow up this tree. But if I blow up the whole freaking house and the property, you still, that's what you're left with. You're left with the destruction of everything. And so when we start to approach our ideologies from impact rather than just intent and wanting to hold on to this idea that we're all just these great, perfect, good-hearted people, then that's when we can actually like start to make some progress. And to me, it just sounds like such a simple concept, but in theory, it's so difficult because of all of the restrictions we end up um, protect the walls we put up in our mind to keep our worlds and our bubbles really safe and impenetrable. 
Yeah, and it's so easy to, you know, put a put a really loaded compliment out there, you know. And you know, I mean, one of the things I noticed with my kids, I have two girls, eight and ten, you know, and um, people are always like, "Oh, they're so beautiful. Oh, they're so whatever." I'm like, "Yeah." and fierce and strong and intelligent and creative and, you know, um, and, and those people don't mean negative things by that. And I think that it's fine in, in a certain way, but it is very um, obvious once you start to think about it, the ways in which people selectively enforce cultural values through the ways in which they provide praise and encouragement or, you know, silence or, or negative feedback or whatever, it's very easy to see how they sort of channel stuff in certain directions and, you know, without meaning it, you know? And, and I think that it, it, as you say, it behooves us all to look inside some and be like, huh, why, why did I make that choice over another choice? Because, you know, because ultimately everything has meaning and that meaning has many layers of context and, and some of those contexts which feel like they are authentic are really maybe more just unconsidered mm-hmm. things that emerge from us, right? And I think that there's a really challenging thing to consider what does authentic really mean and what do we what do we actually want from being authentic or being free? What what actually comes from that? I think that if anything, I feel like we find the most authenticity in realizing that authenticity isn't a static concept. It's not about you being the same all day, every day. And mm-hmm. I think sometimes that people feel like, well, you know what? I've been the same ever since I was 10 years old. But have you? Are you really the same? Yeah. What is the same? How you act is the same. But how you feel and understand the world, is it truly the same? Or are you keeping yourself from expressing that out of these preconceived notions and fears, you know? Um, And like, when you tell yourself, like, I remember one, like there was a couple point a couple of years ago where I was kind of like going through my transition in life and just kind of like going through my, you know, identity changes and everything. And that's what I said to myself. I was like, you know what? Like, I don't, it's not that I don't care about making money or anything. Yeah, I want some security. Like, I'm not going to lie about that part. Sure. But it's not about just being a millionaire or something like that. Like, I want to live my life as authentically as possible, you know, where I can benefit and help the most people in this world, you know, and leave something positive behind. And like you said, that authenticity um, means different <clears throat> means different things to different people, but if we allow authenticity to be a fluid concept, and that because I'm not the same now that I was three years ago, I'm no less authentic now than I was then. Yeah. You know. So. Yeah, I, th- I think it's really important to. Um, there, there's a there's a method of control that I became aware of at a certain point which was that, you know, people would sort of pull out something from the past and be like, oh, you know, well, you said blah, blah, blah at that point. So like, you know, you're you're guilty like I am or you've made these mistakes or whatever, right? You know, and I think that we really need to give each other um, space to change, right? Space for that to, to allow to change, you know? I mean, I grew up in a predominantly working class environment, you know? 
there were lots of ideas that kind of found their way into my brain when I was younger that I had to kind of be like, huh, you know, I, I don't think that that's true. That's not my experience. You know, that's racist or whatever. And if we don't allow ourselves to sort of let go of that notion, we're never going to grow and evolve. Right. Yeah. You know, and I think that, you know, one of the things that kind of your, what you just said reminded me of was um, about two years ago, I was sitting and journaling in relationship to some tarot cards and, and I wrote down something that I'd written down a million times, probably, right? Like I look in flipping back through journals, I, I remember seeing things like this over and over again. And I was like, I need to be free in order to whatever, right? Like different things. And I was yeah. like, wait, 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 wait. And I started thinking about it. I'm like, how am I not free? Like, what do, like for whatever reason in that moment, it struck me differently. And I was like, how is it that I'm not actually free right now? And, and I realized that, I mean, you know, I'm not a billionaire. I'm not, I mean, there are limits, but, but this sort of, there was this trap where I was living in relationship to these ideas that I was trying to move away from or transcend in one, one way or another. And so after that, I started thinking about how do I, how do I determine my course, not in real, like, having done a bunch of work on my upbringing, having done a bunch of work on, on other things, how do I, how do I actually embody a freedom? How do I actually be, uh, break that relational drive to that old stuff, you know, because yeah. in trying to move away from it, still call on that spectrum in a way that, that kind of had its own limiting function as well, you know? Yeah. And so, so I've been sort of moving towards this, uh, you know, this idea, and I, I kind of keep circling back to it every so often to be like, all right, what am I living in relationship to? And and do I want to be living in relationship to that? Or do I want to be doing something else, mm-hmm. given that I am, you know, quote unquote free, or at least capable of making different choices here? Yeah. And I think that's like a very powerful realization that comes through, because like you said, it's so you know, we're so busy looking at the shackles that we don't realize that, you know, they're open, you know, you just see the chain, but you don't realize that the brace is unlocked there, you know, and, and it's not what a double card is really all about in the sense, like, you know, Maybe, yeah. yeah, those, um, in a lot of ways, we kind of have, we're, we're more bound due to our own um, self-limitations, and it's not to say that the limitations in society aren't real, because people will definitely have more barriers than others and have to break past those barriers. But, you know, on just a personal level and everything, there's still, you know, some ways where we can really create our own system of freedom. And I also think like, you know, redefining what freedom looks like. Like I have a neighbor and, you know, he always, you know, he laments about, feeling like he wanted to be a millionaire by the time his parents died. But he continued to pretty much work in the same call center for 20 years. And it's, and it's like, you know, like he's a very sweet guy. Like I love him, but it's like one of those things where when I pay attention to his speech patterns, it's always about everything that he's not capable of doing. When I very regularly remind him of all the ways in which he's free to actually do what, what he does want to do, even if it might take some adjustment, and, tr- and change and some discomfort, he's not as bound as he has, 
putting himself in this box to believe. And I think that happens to a lot of us where this, this sense of freedom we feel is unattainable. And I feel like it starts first at realizing who you are as a person, because everybody isn't coming into this life to be a millionaire. Society makes us believe that, that we should all be trying to attain. Everybody should want to be a CEO. You don't want to be a worker. You don't want to be on the production line. Everybody should be striving to be an entrepreneur or the big dog, you know, when no, find out what you want to bring into this life first. It could be your art and loving and healing people. It could be educating. Like it could just be like, you want to make the world tiniest dog or something. It can be whatever you feel truly resonates with your soul. And when you start from that place, then you can start setting realistically attainable goals. And it might not look like you being a millionaire. I may never be a millionaire, but if I live the life that I wanted to live, doesn't really matter that I did it doing a million dollars or if I did it doing $500 in my bank account every month, you know? And I think it's, you know, it's fascinating there, there are readings that I've done for people where, you know, they're really, they're like focused on how dissatisfied they are in this and that and something else. And, you know, every so often in that conversation, something emerges and, and, you know, like the reading says, well, that's cool. You're really successful at work and you've got this great relationship. And the cards say that until you have a child, you will never feel satisfied in life or until you, leave North America and go traveling or, you know, it's, it's been different things at different times. Right. But there's this sort of, sometimes there's a, a, a thing that we pine for existentially or artistically or, or, you know, just in our nature. And until we can identify what that is, it's so easy for it to make us be dissatisfied with everything, yeah. even stuff that is good you know, but, but if we're expecting that sort of complete soul fulfillment in every arena of our life, we may, we may or may not find that. We may not all be called to, you know, as you say, be CEOs or, you know, be the next insert famous artist here or, you know, whatever, right? Like the, the, the world, world requires many kinds of people doing many kinds of things. Yeah. It takes all of us to make the world go around and there's still been really notable people in this world who seemingly didn't do much or didn't or didn't they didn't have a grand life during their time here and they probably didn't even realize the impact that they left behind but they still did you know for better or worse you know so that's why it's like we I I feel like it's I've told myself consistently to remember to be fluid and I'm a Virgo so you can imagine my (laughs) it's just always coming up with ideas and analyzing and breaking things down yeah. And sometimes that can put more obstacles in my way. But if I at least remind myself to just like, you know, be like the water, I can move myself around them even when they come up and not really try and shackle myself into one way of being um, mm-hmm. and not one way of being happy, you know. And so um, I'm sorry, I just had like a brain fart <laughs> when that happens. Got like a little of a thought. But yeah, like you said, it, it just takes a you know, everybody just kind of looking at themselves and it may not look the way you want to, because I promise you, not even three years ago, you wouldn't tell me that I'm doing what I'm doing now. Like when I look back now, I wanted to be respected in my field. I knew I wanted to be a creative and I knew that I wanted to make positive impact in the world. And I remember when I was a child, I had gone through a lot of different 
um, things. You know, I have I've experienced molestation and I've ex experienced, you know, um, bullying and different things throughout my childhood. And I remember this time on the bus um, where like I had to be in like fourth or fifth grade because I remember the bus used to go out to this certain area. So it had to be elementary school. But I clearly remember just sitting and looking out the window and telling myself like, Courtney, you're going to help a lot of um, women and not just young women your age, but you're going to help older women too. Like that's going to be something you do. And like thinking back, that's kind of crazy that I was that young and having that thought. So it was probably just spirit speaking to me at that time. But like, I didn't know what that was going to look like. And as I grew up, I embraced that idea. I used to like idolize Oprah. Like I loved her. And, and, you know, she was the first example to me of, especially like a black woman doing it on such a large scale and just healing and everything, you know, no matter what people think about her, there's still these very impactful things that she's accomplished in her life. And so I looked up to that. And so, um, looking at it now, it's like, wow, like I'm actually at that place. I used to be, I was raised in a Christian household. Like I remember listening to John Hagee talk about doing exorcism on a tarot reader. That's like, I carried that thought and idea in my mind for a very long time and look at me now, like creating a tarot deck mm -hmm. and this whole, and this calling myself a magical person. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. So life happens in these unexpected ways, but I'm just thankful to, um, to myself and to the spirits, you know, who've guided me to open up and allow life to unfold and to make this unexpected, unexpected power, you know, <laughs> that it is now. Yeah. Well, and your, you know, your deck is definitely a magical deck, you know, I mean, I, uh, I'm kind of fussy about my tarot decks. Mostly, mostly I only read tarot to Marseille decks these days. So like the older French styles. And uh, mm -hmm. so I'm like, not really, I'm rarely inspired to look at new decks because I'm like, eh, whatever. I, I've got a deck. It works great. It's, yeah. you know, it's 300 years old. It's like, uh, it's, I don't need anything else. Right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's not entirely true, but it's, but it's much of my time is focused in that direction. And yet when I saw your deck, I felt like, felt like I was seeing spirit come through and I felt like I was seeing um, this sort of, uh, I hope it doesn't sound cheesy, but like this, like a powerful awakening of people in the deck, you know, it was very, it was very interesting to me how alive it was um, compared to, you know, I mean, there's nothing wrong with any decks anybody's doing, but you know, a lot of decks I look at, I'm like, eh, whatever. I don't, I don't feel the energy from it, you know? Mm -hmm. So yeah. Yeah, no, I completely relate to that feeling because that's how I was feeling about some of the other decks that actually did feature people of color. Even when I was looking, it wasn't that none existed. It was just that they were limited. And the ones that I did see, didn't, like you say, didn't have that. <laughs> and you, there are some decks that you just connect with. And like you said, they feel alive. They feel like they have their own energy and their own personality. And I can definitely say this deck does. <laughs> mm -hmm. Like it wasn't something that was like, you know, overly planned like I looked at inspiration photos I you know did research and all that stuff even for the guidebook but every step of the way the deck the artwork everything became what it wanted to be even when I tried to use certain people and drawings like they look nothing like the reference photos you know they just became their own thing and 
um, I've had some experiences where people have channeled, you know, my ancestors and guiding spirits. And there was one emotional moment for me where, you know, a friend of mine channeled and she saw one of the beings and I've seen, seen them in my dreams. She described them to me as, cause I would see them in my dreams as these very tall, silvery, dark, silvery figures. Um, and she was channeling and she described it and it sounded like the ones in my dream. And I had never told her about these dreams. And so she was um, saying how they wanted me to know that this is healing them. And like, it was such an emotional moment because I never thought about that. We talk about ancestors and we talk about spirit guides and what they're doing for us, but we never think about what our work here does for them and that their journey and that their desires and needs haven't ended on the other side. And so um, I truly believe that um, these cards are depicting and giving physical form to them. And maybe that's why it resonates so deeply um, because there's something beyond me that is being put into it, but they have the desire to, you know, connect other people to what they need ancestrally too. Um, I mentioned in the introduction of the guidebook, I talk about Paula Noel, who, uh, who's the author of a book. And I want to make sure I get the name right, but I believe it's called Reclaiming Our Ancestors and Uncovering the Indigenous Mind. And I found this book when I was in the uh, rare book section at Powell's when I was in Portland. So I almost feel like this was kind of this little magical moment where I was led to this very obscure book. And it's like, it's like a grad student's thesis (laughs) of all things in this rare book section. And she talks about her journey as a woman of Irish descent and the importance of understanding your own cosmology in regards to your spiritual journey and how in Western culture, a lot of times we're taught that everything is a free for all because that's how our society is. And, um, you know, we latch on to Eastern traditions or other indigenous traditions. And those things are beautiful and they are effective, but they're not always our own. Mm. And so, you know, instead of trying to get away from those things that belong to us, we should start to explore, understand our history, understand where we come from and start to look to those traditions, even if they don't immediately resonate, because at the end of the day, that's what we've inherited. And that's where we'll find our power. And that also addresses the issues of cultural appropriation and, um, you know, the loss of so many cultures, because that's the back, the drawback of this global society is the erasure that has happened to so many cultures when people have decided that they have the right to insert themselves into spaces. Like even myself as a, you know, black woman trying to understand different African traditions um, across the continent Um, I don't insert myself into cultures that I have not lived their experience. Like, yes, I'm a black woman, but it doesn't mean that my, I have the same experience as a woman from Senegal. And so I can't go insert myself just because I resonate, resonate with their belief systems and their gods. I can just go and assert myself and use those things without thinking about how it is intrinsically tied into who they are. And I kind of liken it to inheriting your own kingdom. And I think I speak of it. It's like you inherit your own kingdom, but you want to play in somebody else's yard. You got some things right here and you got some really powerful things, even if it doesn't seem as fun, right? Like everybody else toy feels fun to play with. But if you just work with what you got right here, 
you may be able to draw something much more powerful and profound from that rather than trying to work through everybody else's stuff to find yourself. You're going through everybody else's stuff to find you when you're right here. <laughs> For sure. Like I thought that when I read her thesis, I thought that was really powerful, especially as a, um, as a white woman to write something like this and talk about her journey because we don't get to see that process and from the other side because we don't talk a lot about how European indigenous traditions were also lost with the rise of Christianity and everything too. It, um, it wasn't just um, African traditions or um, Oriental traditions or um, I'm sorry, Asian. So all of us are essentially suffering <laughs> in a sense from this disconnect from our, our true identities. So. Yeah. Yeah. I think that where, wherever people are going to go, you know, the, my experience is the ancestors are following you. Yeah. You know, so like wherever you are, you know, even, you know, as, as me, you know, I'm practicing a Afro-Cuban Lukumi, right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my ancestors are there with me and I got to deal with them and their stuff and their in and within their culture and, you know, all those pieces, right? Like we can't, we can't, we shouldn't try and escape those pieces by just sort of jumping somewhere else. We need to do something with them and those ancestors and their need for, you know, especially if they need elevation and healing mm-hmm. and, and stuff like that on the other side, that's not going to get diminished by ignoring them or by, you know, uh, just jumping traditions and then trying to like, you know, work other ways of working them because, you know, often those spirits are going to want what they want. And our job is to be like, okay, well, we're going to have a negotiation here maybe, but we're going to work something out, you know, so that they can get what they need in the ways that works well for them and, and so on. Right. Because yeah, that ancestral piece to me is so, often uh bypassed by a lot of people you know they really just want to like you know they grew up they had crappy parents crappy grandparents crappy whatever and you know fair enough many many of us have have, right in one way or another Mm -hmm. um but but they're they're all still there which is the thing that i think is really uh a a truth that people aren't comfortable with Mm -hmm. and then like you say then they go to other traditions and go to other ways when they go trying to avoid where they've been, it's, it's really becomes problematic for sure. Yeah. Cause you can't run from it. It's a part of you. Like it's like trying to flick off a part of your DNA. Like you can't really do that. <laughs> it's yeah. going to be there. So you might as well face it. Like for me, ancestral um, reverence has been such a powerful and like part of my spiritual growth, especially in this last year. Um, is something more recent in my life, um, having a babeta and, you know, having an altar and like being very intentional and like, you know, doing rituals that bring them healing and rituals that like, you know, I, from that time that I told you, like my friend channeled and I was watching this anime, like I'm total nurse. I love anime. And there was um, a particular one where in this one scene, the people cross over and so it's not like they just go to heaven or hell. There's this like city that they go to and they have to earn money to go across the lake to the other side. So they're pretty much, it's almost like a state of purgatory in a sense. And um, they have to essentially, you know, because of the way they lived their life, earn more money or earn more spiritual clout to elevate. But it's like that same idea 
So, you know, I began burning money and I began to just like literally, like you say, pray for their elevation. And, you know, we all have ancestors that were, you know, um, that didn't leave the best lives. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I've heard some stories on my family side. Uh-huh. Too. We'll, we'll leave it at that. Yeah. Everybody yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, we kind of have to start like, you know, taking responsibility into bringing healing and light to those areas because that I feel like that's why there are so many different strongholds. And like when you hear people's stories, amazing, like a person can be adopted, never grow up in the environment of their birth parents, but carry on the traits and the habits of those people. And like they explore that through science, right? Epigenetics and all of that, inherited trauma and all of those things. And they may not talk about it in a spiritual sense, but it's still very much connected to spirit that again, even being born and adopted by another family, you can't get away from the drug addiction. <laughs> you know, you can't get away from like, my mom always jokes with me because I was made, raised in a blended family. My biological father was killed when I was younger. So, you know, I was raised by my mom and my stepfather. And so, and I refer to him as my real dad. And so, you know, they both are very, very clean people, very like neat, neat freaks. Like we mop the floor twice a day, uh-huh. <laughs> like and so my friends will always like joke about like Courtney what are you going home to clean up because it was always super clean but me I could never ever ever get it right but my mom will always remind me she's like you just like your peoples because your your dad mom was like that she was a hoarder and you know she was clean but she collected a lot of things uh-huh. and so I'm the, I'm just the same way even though I wasn't raised in that environment and everybody around me is like super like neat free clean <laughs> So, um, yeah, essentially, yeah, all that to say that acknowledging our ancestors and who we, where we come from is just essential and vital to our spiritual health. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So you, you got your deck done and you got your book done. When, when's it coming out? I saw some pictures of some press proofing going on the other day. Yeah. Where, where, where is it at? So they have a, um, I I didn't realize until a little later that they actually have a um, holiday this month. So this week they're not printing. So um, right now they pretty much print the cards, the the first layer. And so it's going to have spot gloss and foil. So there's pretty much two other layers of printing. The cards have to go through and then the packaging is the same thing, you know, spot gloss embossing and stuff. You know, mm-hmm. so, you know, I really wanted to make the packaging and the presentation special, like, because for me, this is like an art project from start to finish, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, I wanted people to receive it and it looked like something you probably dug up yourself, like, in the sense where, like, you know, not a lot of heavy branding and all of that stuff, but just like the the package, the cards, you know, so they still, you know, have some work to do. Um, I think that from what my manufacturer told me, they'll pretty much be done by the end of this month is mainly working out the shipping because shipping from overseas takes a while. And so she was saying that it may be here by December instead of November that I'm like, uh, (laughs) you know, but man, shipping by air is like expensive. Yes. (laughs) AKA impossible. Yeah. For certain things, it's just not possible. Yeah. Yeah, like, so, you know what, I know people are itching, but I'm like, y'all gonna have to wait unless somebody about to write me a check today. <laughs> to yeah, get yeah. 
here sooner. Everybody, I, I'm in the same boat. I'm waiting anxiously too. And like, not just thinking about the fact that when it gets here, I'm pretty much have like a thousand decks to suit out mm-hmm. by myself in my little one bedroom apartment. So, you know, I try to stay as transparent about the process as possible. So people understand the amount of work and, you know, um, just kind of remain patient because I know everyone's antsy and everything I am too, but also want to make sure that I do everything right. You know, I, mm-hmm. I, I don't, I don't want, I don't want to rush and um, feel pressure to do anything that's going to cause more harm in the long run. So, you know, I, I yeah. just try to, um, stay transparent about that, you know? It's perfect. Yeah. These things, these things take what they take, you know, in terms of time. Yeah. And we're independent creators, you know, we don't, have like we didn't start off with a ton of money and resources like we're doing this from our living rooms you know <laughs> exactly well and even if you do right like you know i put i submitted my deck completed deck and book um you know to the well at the beginning of september mm-hmm. and uh you know that the planned release is fall of 2018 right like they're yeah. not they're not turning that around in a couple weeks or a month right like it's it all takes a lot of time so yeah so where should people come in and hang out with you? Where should people come and follow up on this? Can they, can they pre-order decks? Where, where do people need to be to, to get some of this majesty? Right now I do have pre-orders open. And so um, once the first edition is sold out, I'm pretty much going to roll into the second edition. And I know there are some people interested in wholesale. So I do give some information about that. That part I'm still on the back end, um, you know, working on and making sure I got everything you know, laid out properly, but people can go ahead and start submitting and letting me know um, because that's going to help get that second print run. You know, mm-hmm. the way I've done it is like, you know, the first edition, I really want it to be special, you know, and the second edition is going to be special too, but I wanted there to be certain features and presentation wise things that really differentiated this first edition because like, I have to give it up for the people who invested in me. I wasn't a person that no one really knew anything about. I hadn't, I didn't have an established brand of trust or anything. I'm just an independent artist that people saw something in and decided to give their heart and earn money to see my dream come to life, you know? And so Mm -hmm. I, I, I just definitely want to do something special. So now I want to work towards that second edition and get that set up. So, you know, Dusta Onyx isn't, a thing that just kind of comes and goes, you know? For sure. Yeah, yeah. I want to be an, a staple deck for people. <laughs> I love it. So where, what's your website? Oh, sorry. Um, Dust, the number two, Onyx. So D-U-S-T, number two, O-N-Y-X dot com. And you can click on the shop link and it'll take you um, to where you can order the deck. And there's some other merchandise in the store as well. Go check it out. It's really, really stunning. Okay. And if you know me, you know that I'm not like <laughs> running around about everything. Like, yeah, this is definitely worth looking at. Um, thanks so much for making the time to talk to me today, Courtney. It has been uh, every bit as enjoyable as I was expecting it to be. Oh, thank you. I really enjoyed our conversation too. And hope your readers enjoy some of the things I have to say. So. Yeah, this was awesome. Yeah. All right. Thanks again. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you. As always, for listening, uh, I hope you've really enjoyed it. Uh, a big thanks to the lovely human beings who have put some wonderful reviews on iTunes for the podcast. Please do consider supporting the Patreon. 
You know, I sound like a PBS ad, but seriously, even a dollar helps. It all adds up towards being able to make all sorts of exciting things happen, both for yourself and for others. So head on over to patreon.com slash the hermit's lamp, or use the link in the show notes. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye.